It's 12.09. This is Jeff Wagner. A lot of ground to cover today. Let's get right to it. Eric Bilstead. Today is tax day. Yes. Have you done your taxes? Yes. Long time ago? Long time ago. And my I should say my wife. Well, right. Your, your family, right? <laughs> yes. They are taken care of. Done. See, I am I am with you. I, I understand this. I, I lump into the category of like, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. There, there's two types of people in the world. There are the people that, that get their taxes done, you know, either early or at a, at a reasonable time. And I have always been one of those those people um now i have an accountant that does it but i but i, I mean i still I'll assemble the documents I'll, I'll get them to her because if i've got money coming back i want that money coming back and you want it as soon as possible especially well, nowadays with all the fraud that takes place well, well, right but why why would i give the government an interest-free loan i mean right. essentially you're not getting interest on that alternatively if i owe money even if I want to hold off, I might hold off. If I owe money, I might want to hold off till filing for today. But but my taxes would be done because I I want to know you know how much I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to want to know what that amount is. If yeah. if I got to come up with five grand or ten grand or whatever that would be, I want to know what that is so I can plan ahead. Even if I don't file, I want to know those numbers. I swear I do not understand. You know the 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 other sentiment now nowadays. With all electronic filing, you know, people don't have to line up outside the post office. Remember right. a few years ago, oh, yeah. oh, we used to be to have the oh, TV yeah. cameras down yep. there at midnight yep. and all. Yep. Yep. But I, I will tell you, true story. Talking to somebody this morning who has um, adult children in their twenties who who haven't filed. You know, they're they're they have not filed. They are in all likelihood are getting taxes back, getting money back in all likelihood, mm-hmm. but they haven't put it together yet. So it was oh gee, okay, I, I went and I applied for an extension, which. All that does is just delay you getting your own money back, <laughs> yes. or if you owe money, you're now going to have to pay you know interest and maybe penalties. Okay, so that that's at least somebody in their twenties. Mm-hmm. All right, I just, mm-hmm. I just didn't get around to it. All right, a very close friend of mine. You know who you are. All right, um, we were going to do something tonight. He can't do anything. He, he can't. He can't do what we were going to do tonight because he's working on his taxes. He canceled plans. He canceled plans <laughs> because he's working on his taxes tonight unsure if he'll be able to get them finished it's april 17th and i'm sitting there thinking what you know and, and this is somebody my age you know this is not okay this isn't the 25 year old kid this is somebody my age so is it a procrastination or is it not knowing exactly how to do it so you put it off because you're just not quite sure how to do it well all right that's an interesting question Let's open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just, I, there's one segment on this, but today is tax day. And, I mean, there, there are two types of people in the world, people like me and Eric Bilstadt, who get these things done as soon as possible. Um, just because I, if I get, like I say, if I'm getting money back, I want the dough back. If I owe, I want to know what, what that at least amount is. Plus, I want it off my plate. I mean, I've got all sorts of other things that are going on in my life, and the last thing I want to worry about is this. And by the way, fraud is a huge deal where people have been filing and getting your refund sure. for you. And if one of the suggestions that Clark Howard makes every year is file quickly because then no one else is going to steal your money from you. Right. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are, I, I mean, I, I guess there's this, I want to talk about the philosophies and which type of person you are, but particularly if you are a procrastinator and you you waited until today or Sunday 
To, to, it's not like it, it's not like it sneaks up on you. I mean, we know when you have to file taxes. I would be fascinated to know, you know, what's going on, Phil. In Stevens Point, Phil, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hello. I find it very disappointing because I usually I always file mine like the first week of February, right. and now I got involved with different investments like oil companies and things like that, and I was still getting ten ninety nine just oh. recently as last Thursday. And now we have to put everything on hold. I mean, I took the stuff to the accountant, and she's got it there, but it's like we got to wait for these other things to come in. It's very frustrating, and it's all seemed to happen since, like, 2009. I always thought everything had to be in by um, January 30th. I, I, I did I, I did as well. So, like so you, I did as well. So you've been waiting for two months for, to get all the 1099 stuff in because you don't even have yeah. the information you need to file. Exactly. Yeah, oh, that- it's very frustrating. I do my stuff actually before Christmas, to be honest with you. My personal stuff. Right. It's all done before I go on a vacation. That That's would drive. That would drive me. That would absolutely drive me nuts. You know, because well, if you're yeah, if you're waiting for that, yeah. nuts too. You know. Oh yeah. Storm we had here added more fuel to the fire. You know. Yeah, I understand. It was pretty bad up there. Thanks for call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Well, okay, that's a circumstance kind of beyond your your control. Where you know you, you you don't have all the information you need to file, and I guarantee you um, that actually happened to me last year. I got some information um, from a place, and it was my accountant caught it that was wrong, and and you know she ended up you know calling up and saying you got to need you got to reissue something. What you've got here is wrong, but we couldn't you know we couldn't file until you know we we had that various information. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dave on the south side. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, uh, Jeff, I filed uh, last night, but I never file. I always owe a couple hundred bucks right. every year. I know about what I'm going to owe, so there's no use in doing it ahead of time unless you just want to sit there and get an exact figure like you're saying. Well, when did you, you know, know when, when did you have when did you actually sit down to do your taxes? Uh, about a week or two ago, and then okay. and then I knew about what it was going to be, but I always owe a couple hundred bucks, so I don't. Well, again, I, I under, but at least you, but you knew what it was going. To, you knew what it was going to be. You weren't just like waking up this morning and going, "Oh, I better sit down and got to try to do my taxes now." No, 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 not that. But it's just, just that if you're going to owe, yeah. you don't write them a check till the last minute. You, you probably owe Jeff some years. Oh, oh yes, believe me, Dave. <laughs> no, thanks. I mean, I, know I, I have owed, and that's why I say, but, but in, in, in the case. Where, where I have owed money, um, again, depending on how much money it is. But I, I mean, I, I've waited. I can understand, for example, like waiting f- till today to send, if you owe money, to send in the check. Because again, why, why pay it earlier than you need to pay it? If you care about something like that, I get that. But in all those cases, I knew how much it was. I mean, it's not like I sat down on Saturday or Sunday and started doing it. That the taxes had been done. They'd been sitting waiting to you know go off um you know for whatever day i would send it i guess i just it would drive me absolutely crazy if i didn't know just to have that hanging over my head peter downtown peter you're on wtmj good afternoon hey how's it going guys real well thank you sir okay are you are you a procrastinator actually my accountant is a procrastinator <laughs> So basically, we meet in December, and then we pay a bill in January, so it's like an estimated tax bill. Right. But then every year, I swear to you, it's like the last two days, he gives me like 30 emails to summarize everything else. And of course, I don't care because I always pay taxes because I own a business, 
And so at the end of the day, I pay the tax bill right at the last second electronically. But it's the accountant who actually tells me, and I'm not going to mention names, right. that, hey, you know, uh, I, I need 14 questions answered, and it happens to be today. Huh. So. Now, oh, see that, and see, and that would, I, I, I won't mention names either, but if my accountant, if she did that to me, I think I'd be looking for another accountant because it's always kind of like, all right, I tell you what, I'll do everything I can to get you all the records I, you know, I have that I think you need. Then you contact me and give me the questions. And we had it all wrapped up about two or three weeks ago or so. I, if I was still getting emails today, it would be driving me bonkers, Peter. Just absolutely bonkers. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it, it, it's, it's, um, from my perspective, it's kind of funny because I know that he's uh, high, high on stress right now. But oh. the great thing is, is that he always takes a phenomenal vacation like three days from now. So. He's, he's, he's looking for the, right. for the higher in a couple of days. Well, right, and see, Peter, and again, you're not you're not in the category, I guess, of the people that I'm really talking about. In, in because you, you've sat down, you've gotten all your stuff in, you know, you've made the arrangements to do it. it it's the, the the folks that I, I admit I I don't get are the folks that just I, again, like my friend's kid, who well, I just didn't get around to it. Um, and and th- this kid's going to be getting money back in all likelihood. So it's like, okay, you're right. You know, are you really at a point now? If you're if you're going to get two thousand dollars back, do you have so much money that you don't need two grand? <laughs> really? Or or again, like like my friend who's you know we we had to we we had to cancel something we were going to do tonight, um, or at least he's not going to be able to go because you got to go do the taxes. I'm like, man, I, I would have had. I, I just I. I just the idea of waiting till the last minute uh, would have driven me nuts. All right. When we come back, I swear, I swear, I swear, I swear, I know people get these 15 minutes of fame. There's one person whose fame, 15 minutes, it, it expired a long time ago, and yet she's milking it. Stick around. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Gru, who's producing the show today. Tell me you've done your taxes. You have done your taxes. Weeks ago. All right, I am training you well. Very good. Twelve nineteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve twenty-two, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. So yesterday there is a court hearing in New York Federal Court. Let me let me kind of review the bidding on on what happened here. Um, Michael Cohen is the now personal attorney for President Trump. Cohen was also the attorney for Trump Industries for years and years. It goes back a long way. There is the pornographic film actress, Stephanie Clifford. She goes by the name of Stormy Daniels. Everybody knows the story by now. If you weren't listening yesterday, to me, it, it, this says everything you need to know about America in 2018. When Stormy Daniels appears on 60 Minutes two weeks ago, they draw 22 million viewers. When the former FBI director, James Comey, appears on ABC a week later, it draws like nine million. I mean, it's just, it's just a former FBI director who interacted with the president. You know, OK, that's nine million. The pornographic um, actress who, you know, had a one night stand with Donald Trump in 2006. Well, that gets 22 million. That tells you everything you need to say about America in any event. So you, you have what what apparently happens. Let's go back and let's review the bidding. This woman has a one-night stand with Donald Trump in 2006. She has been trying to sell her story about this for a long, long time. Trump is running for president, 
And ultimately, what apparently happens is this Michael Cohn, who's Trump's lawyer, ends up paying her one hundred and thirty grand to to keep quiet. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's that's like a confidentiality deal. There's nothing illegal about the deal. It is unusual, and there's, I have a lot of questions about this, and I've said it, because President Trump denies having an affair. He also denies um, approving a payment. That I, I find that hard to believe, because as somebody who was in you know private practice of law myself for at least a few years, that's just not how... That, that's not how it works. I mean, if, if you're a lawyer representing somebody, you you know you don't settle the case without the client's permission. There is also a question as to where the hundred and thirty thousand dollars came from. Um, the report suggests that the lawyer took out a mo- second mortgage or a mortgage on his house to get the hundred and thirty grand. Well, that would be again highly unusual. That doesn't make any sense to me. If I'm settling a case on behalf of a client. I'm not using my own money to do it, and if I'm taking out a mortgage on a second mortgage on a home, I, a lot of times I might have to say what I'm going to use the money for. So there's all sorts of questions. This is irregular. I, I don't know how this this all happened, and, and it is it is irregular. All right, so that's the deal. So you have the FBI goes into Cohen's office last week, and they seize all sorts of records, records of his dealings with President Trump or with uh, President Trump before he was President Trump, most of which, I would guess, have absolutely nothing to do with this particular transaction and would be covered by lawyer-client privilege. They also seize a bunch of other records, which don't have anything to do with this guy and, and Trump, which, if I were a client, would be, I think, a disturbing sort of thing, because, all right, if I've got a lawyer who's got some dealings with one guy and that's invest- under investigation, Fine, you take those records, but you know what about my records and what about my attorney-client privilege? So there's a significant issue that is going on here, and ultimately the court is going to have to settle this all out. And like I say, I don't know where it's going to come down other than there's some stuff that doesn't make any sense to me. Is it criminal? I don't know. But I, I've always had problems with the explanation that, that Cohn apparently paid this woman. Nothing wrong with paying her, but where did the money come from and, you know, how could the, how could Donald Trump not have known that these payments were being made? Lawyers don't just settle cases without telling their clients. I mean, that's just you just don't do that. So there, there's some questionable stuff here, and I'll let that all sort out. So you've got the hearing. The hearing yesterday in federal court is about the scope of the evidence that was seized. Apparently, Cohen is under investigation, maybe a criminal investigation, to determine, uh, again, did he commit bank fraud, um, those various things. So they seize all these different records. But it, it has nothing to do with the civil case, the civil settlement with Stormy Daniels, other than where did the money come from. All right? It has nothing to do with the underlying agreement the two of them reached. So. I'm watching the, the accounts of this, and, of course, the other thing that's out there is it turns out that Sean Hannity was also one of this guy's clients as well, and that comes out in court, and that's getting all sorts of stories. Should Sean Hannity have disclosed that? I, I don't really care one way or the other. But but who should pop up into this entire discussion that all of a sudden, dressed in stiletto heels, Stormy Daniels goes running into the courtroom, almost kind of falls on the steps, her, you know, celebrity chasing, media chasing lawyer is there. 
reporters are giving them business cards. She has a impromptu press conference outside the courthouse saying she's there to make sure justice is done, blah de blah, blah de blah, even though none of this affects her underlying case, but rather is another attempt to keep her in the, the public eye. And again, all she does, she appears, and then again, that's all you see on the TV news. You see the pictures of Stormy Daniels on the courthouse steps, uh, again, trying to extend her 15 minutes of fame. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, I, I have, I don't get what happened with this particular settlement. And candidly, I think Michael Cohn, the lawyer, has got some explaining to do. But, but... If I never see this porno actress on TV again, it will be too soon. Any sympathy I might have had for her is completely gone out of the window. I think this woman is one of the greatest show people and self-promoters since Barnum and Bailey. And she's every time she makes one of these appearances, I think it is a calculated decision to say, okay, now when I come out and I go to whatever strip joint I'm going to go to next week, I'm going to be able to increase whatever I'm charging. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you tired of Stormy Daniels? Are you with me that, you know, I just, I, if you never see her again, it's going to be too soon? Or, I mean, she's like trying to pretend that she's somehow some victim in all this type of stuff. You know, do you think that we need justice for Stormy? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, she's had her 15 minutes of fame. The sooner the public moves on, I think the smarter we will all be. We discuss next. It's 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. We live in a heck of a world. Maggie in Wauwatosa. Maggie, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, first of all, Stormy Daniels is a symbol. Donald Trump has the morals, if he has any, of an alley cat. <laughs> he, when it comes to that, he's an absolute slime ball. So the two of them deserve each other. <laughs> he's cheated on every wife he's ever had. Right. And if Melania thinks he's not going to cheat on her, then she's looking in some other alternative universe. Well, if, if you believe Stormy Daniels, he was cheating on uh, he he was cheating on her on Melania with her, you know. Well, he was. Yeah. Of course he was. So she got $130,000. Where did it come from? Well, that's easy. Money's easy to trade. So if the guy took out a second mortgage, that's easy to find out. But if it was money that came out of his campaign right. finance, he financed most of his own campaign. So my guess is it probably came from his pocketbook somewhere along the line. But so what? Let's worry about Afghanistan, Syria, Syria. North Korea. <laughs> China and whatever else is out in the world, and then we all have we've got our problems right in the United States. You're the president of the United States. Do your damn job. See, and if your point is they all kind of deserve each other, I'm not going to necessarily argue about that too much with you. It's just it is it it is amazing what becomes an issue. And like I say, I think you are right. That's why I did this lead in. I, the, the the story that this attorney Michael Cohen has been saying publicly doesn't make any sense to me. It, it's not. It's just not how things operate in in the real world. And to the extent that there's denials that you know money that was used to you know settle pay a settlement with her, 
Um, to the sense the president says he doesn't know about that, I find that difficult to believe. Okay, so that's fine. Chase that out. But at the same time, I mean, this woman shows up yesterday at these court hearings. She's in the stiletto heels. Everybody's flocking around her. For what? This hearing has nothing to do with her. This is about, you know, the extent of, you know, records that were seized in a separate investigation. I mean, who cares about this? And, And as far as her story goes, my God, there's nothing more to tell. I mean, she's told this all. She's sold the story. She's, you know, she's been around. She's told the story to everybody. There's not exactly much more. This really is. It's the one night stand that lasts for a dozen years. And I'm not going to defend Donald Trump on any of this other than to say at at some point in time, I I think we, we should all feel guilty for allowing ourselves to be exploited. And let's say I give this woman, I give her and her attorney um, a lot of credit because it, it seems to me that, again, this hearing yesterday had nothing to do with her, nothing to do with her, but she shows up, she hijacks the press stuff afterwards. What does it do? It, it keeps her in the news. And again, when you know she's negotiating to come to Milwaukee or go to wherever and appear outside a strip club, it allows her to up her fee. And we're all being played chumps by this. And I guess at some point in time, it's like, oh, all right, I get that it's salacious. I get that the president, before he was president, having a one-night stand with this, I, I, I hate the phrase porn star. I don't know what makes you, she's an actress who appears in pornographic films. Is that different than being a porn star? I mean, is, is everybody that appears in pornographic movies a star? I don't know. But but regardless, I'm not particular. I don't find her to be particularly sympathetic. I don't, frankly, believe this story about well, somebody came up and said stay away from Trump. I, I think she's making that up. But that's just my impression of it. Do I think you know something happened between the two of them? Yeah, but it was kind of 12 years ago. And again, when people milk milk their 15 minutes of fame, it, it bothers me. At some point in time, I, I think we're going to look back on this period of time two, three, four, or five years ago, and just shake our heads and collectively say, who was that woman that said she slept with Donald Trump that one night? What, whatever happened to her? And just we'll kind of all collectively say, why, why did America get in such a tizzy? And we won't have a very good answer. When we come back, big story number two, and it is a big story around here, it appears that Boston store is going to be Well, it's going to be going the way of Blockbuster Video. Stick around. 1240, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Sometime during the 2 o'clock hour, we are going to be welcoming back baseball. I'm going to have a four-pack of tickets to give away to see the Brewers play the Pirates on May 6th. That is a Sunday afternoon, and a $50 gift card from our friends at MelvinMulch.com. We'll be giving that away during the 2 o'clock hour of the program. This is... um, this is a story that, you know, you will be able to see the pictures of this later on on, on the television news, um, and it's sure going to be a huge story all all day. I, I'm just, my, my wife is going out of town tomorrow on a turnaround trip. It's, I, if, honey, if you're listening to, right now, turn off the, turn off the, the uh, turn off the radio, come back in a couple minutes. I was actually thinking of this because we were coming back from Las Vegas on Friday, on, on Sunday, and um, bad weather here, and you're always wondering, not bad weather in Las Vegas, but it's like, okay, what's it going to be like to land? I have always felt that on airplanes, the most dangerous times, and it's not dangerous to travel on airplanes. I mean, they're very, very safe, but the most dangerous times are typically a takeoff or on, on landing when, you know, once once the plane reaches cruising altitude, 
very rarely do you hear about sort of major problems, and yet that's what happened today. Gru, have you been following the story? There's a Southwest Airlines flight. It leaves LaGuardia in New York. It's headed for Dallas. Um, it gets up to its cruising altitude um, of 32,000 feet, and an engine blows up, the left engine, and it, it explodes. It, 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 we're not talking about dies. We're talking about it explodes. Pieces of shrapnel flew into the plane's fuselage and at least one window. There's also a hole in the side of the aircraft. The report is that there's a woman who's sitting in the plane. Um, The jet violently depressurizes, you know, because these are pressurized cabins. One of these hunks of shrapnel is apparently so big it breaks the window. Um, And one woman apparently is is almost sucked out of the plane um, once the window, you know, implodes. It's kind of like... I don't know what you see, you know, in some of the old James Bond movies or whatever, where the plane decompresses and people are pulled out the window. Um, she's partially sucked out of the womb of the of the plane. Um, other passengers, I guess, run and like pull her back in. They're saying there's like blood and everything all all over. I don't mean to laugh. It's this glass window um, just behind the left wing was missing. Plane flying around thirty two hundred thirty two thousand feet. Now. Um, I got to believe these pilots did a great job. The reports are that the plane descended by more than 3,000 feet per minute until the pilots leveled out around 10,000 feet. But that's that's not a that that's a relatively slow rate of of descent. It's not like it just crashed. I mean, okay, so there are 32,000 feet when this happens, and it's going down 3,000 feet a minute. So it's going down, but it's not like it's in a plunge. Anyhow, it levels out around 10,000 feet, and um, ultimately they're able to make an emergency landing in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, The woman who apparently was pulled out of the plane uh, was rushed to a Philadelphia hospital. They're not sure, you know, any other passengers were injured. But, I mean, again, these are just not the type of stories that you hear, because normally when there's aviation problems, it's immediately, you know, a takeoff or it's landing, Rarely, you know, when when a plane is at thirty two thousand feet, but um, the the bottom line is nobody killed in this thing. But it just, you know, who who would imagine that not only would the engine blow, but the engine explodes, and you've got hunks of metal flying all over, and one is apparently big enough and moving fast enough to bust the um, bust the window of the plane. I flew southwest on uh, Sunday. We, we did. We landed. We took off just fine. We landed just fine. All right. Big story number two. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know I, I grew up in Glendale. Um, we moved here when I was like nine or ten in 1967. 1967, and we I grew up in Glendale, about a mile away from Bayshore Shopping Center. When we first moved here, Bayshore Shopping Center, which is now Bayshore Town Mall, was an, an L-shaped strip mall. On one end, you had uh, Sears. On the other end of the L, you had some sort of grocery store. And in the center, um, you had Boston Store. And, and that Boston Store at Bayshore Strip Mall, now Bayshore Town Center, that Boston store has been a you know a, a central part. Other stores have come and gone. 
that Boston store has been a central part of Bayshore Mall, town center, whatever, again, for as long as I can remember, for all the years that I have lived here. That's 40, you know, 40 plus, well, more, way, 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 more, way more than that, uh, since 19, again, 68. So that's going on 50 years. It's, it's been a part of, of that community. Yesterday, uh, Bonton Company, which is the parent company that owns Boston Store, and Boston Store, Bonton does business as Boston Store in some places. They do business as Yonkers and others, a couple other ones. Um, they have been, they have been in bankruptcy and they owe creditors a ton of money. And yesterday there was what they call an, an auction. And the, the question would be, would somebody come in and bid to take them out of bankruptcy? You know, would there be somebody who would step up and say, we want to buy this company and we've got a plan to bring it out of bankruptcy and we want to continue to operate the stores as ongoing concerns. Um, the other interests were the people that are owed money, the creditors. And the creditors say, okay, you know, we're already, this, these stores are incredibly in debt. We are owed all sorts of money. What really should happen is we should just throw in the towel. We should liquidate, sell whatever stuff you have left, and pay us off out of the proceeds. And the people who are saying, you know, you need to liquidate it, they're saying, look, it doesn't make any sense to throw good money after bad. You know, as it is, we're not going to get close to what we're owed, but at least we'll get something. If you, you know, try to bring this out of bankruptcy, well, it's not going to work. You know, it's going to be undercapitalized and it's going to fail anyways. And then there's going to be even less to pay the creditors. So at this auction, the only people that emerged to, to bid on Bonton was the people that were owed money, the li- the people who pu- are pushing for liquidation. There was talk that there were a couple mall owners or operators from across the country who were going to try to put together a package and bid to o- off to run it as an ongoing concern. They apparently never ended up bidding on this. Now, about a week or so ago, I have a I have a friend who um, knows more about the business of malls than I think perhaps anybody in the country and you know we I, we were talking about this I, I was very curious and you know he what he's not directly involved in the Bonton litigation and liquidation but I, I was saying you know is there any way that this this works as an ongoing concern can this company come out of bankruptcy you've seen department stores come and go you know everything there is to know about malls and, and he said to me he said Jeff there, there's just no way out of this and I mean that that the the way shopping is cha- the shopping has changed so much um, these mid-range department stores are, are just getting killed. They're so far in debt, they're never going to be able to get credit extended to them to, you know, to, to get goods moving forward. And it's a damn shame because thousands of people are going to lose their jobs. And it's going to be a big deal for, you know, some of the area shopping centers around here, Southridge and, uh, Brookfield Square, Bayshore. You know all the different places where Boston Store operates a, as a an anchor, but you know his point was it's just it's it's not viable. You know it's not viable. They're not going to be able to come out of this and and do do very well. And I mean he he believed that liquidation was the only realistic alternative. All right, our number four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question: Could Boston Store be saved should it be saved 
Is this a missed opportunity for some investor? You know, is it too bad? And it going, you don't like to see people lose their jobs. That Nobody wants to see that. And this is going to have a devastating impact on a couple area shopping centers and particularly downtown with efforts to try to do something with Grand Avenue where you've got Boston Store as the one retail anchor and you've got all the corporate offices. I mean, shutting down, going bankrupt, all these people losing their job is awful. But my question, I guess, is, you know, was was there something that could be done? Is somebody missing the boat? Uh, in not saying, hey, I want to put in a whole bunch of money and and run this as an ongoing concern. And unfortunately, and I say this with all sincerity, unfortunately, I I just, I said this when Bonton went into bankruptcy, I didn't see a realistic way out. I still don't see a realistic way out. I'm going to be sorry to see these stores close, but I think it is inevitable. Am I right? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And what will, if this happens, what will the demise of Boston Store mean to you as far as your shopping? And what is it going to mean to the area? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 1254. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1257. Jeff Wagner. Ben from Whitewater sends me a text. Uh, I'm 35 years old. I have never shopped at Boston Store. I'm not going to miss it. Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Good. Uh, like you, I grew up with the Gimbals, the Boston Stores, and the Sears. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to see Boston Store, Boston Store go. But the fact is, is that the city's been paying for the, is paying, paying to keep the one open downtown, the Boston Store downtown. Right. And I just hate seeing good money thrown after bad. It just makes no sense. Now, that what, what I am told is that the city, and you're exactly right, and I, I was arguing that that was a bad deal a couple of years ago, um, the city says that they haven't fronted all the money they promised, that they've only been dribbling it out. So they're, they're not going to lose everything. But, yeah, you're right. that The city has been essentially propping up that downtown one because they wanted to try to save Grand Avenue. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and so it, it – it has to go, you know. If, if, if they can't pay their bills and they can't pay the creditors and things of that sort, uh, it, it doesn't seem to me that no one can come in and save it, you know, unless unless they're ready to, to to empty their pockets. Because if it's not successful as it is, I don't see what they can do to change it. Well, right, and see, it's gotten worse. I mean, um, uh, actually, my wife was in one of the stores and was just struck, but one of the Boston stores recently, and was struck by the lack of inventory. And the person was saying. Well, we're in bankruptcy. You know, we, we can't, you know, we, we can't get new product in because or, you know, it's very difficult to go to somebody and say, hey, um, all right, uh, give us give us a bunch of shoes on credit, you know, and, and then we'll pay you when you're in bankruptcy and there's not a plan for you to come out. It's just it's a vicious cycle. Now, thanks to the call, Vincent. I, I am going to miss Boston. It was just such a huge part of this area. But Boston store to me got caught in this trap. Of, of being in the middle of the road. I, I want to, this isn't a knock on like Target's, I love Target or Target or Walmart or things like that, but the, the lower, the lower end, more mass market type of um, big box stores do very well. You've got the high end stores that do very well. It's those middle of the road stores, the Sears, places like that, they just, they've lost their niche and the internet hasn't helped, but it does not look good at all for Boston store. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 109, this is Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, did I hear that story right? Starbucks. What's the deal? Starbucks is going to be closing 
All all 8,000 of its plus stores. Well, I don't know if that's all of them, but more than 8,000 on May 29th for several hours to conduct racial bias training. Huh. Racial bias. So we're going to close. So let me let me again. I'm, I'm just trying to get my head around this story. Okay, you, you've you got this, this one Starbucks last Thursday in downtown Philadelphia. You've got two guys who happen to be black who are in this little Starbucks. They're not ordering anything. One of them asks to use the bathroom, and they say, no, you got to buy something. They say, no, we're not going to buy something. Then they say, you got to leave. They refuse to leave, so Starbucks calls the cops. The cops come. They ask the guys to leave. They refuse to leave, and they get arrested. So based on that... Starbucks is going to be closing more than 8,000 U.S. stores in the afternoon of May 29th to conduct racial bias education for employees. Mm -hmm. Nearly 175,000 workers will undergo the training. The training. Hmm. 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 Okay. Thank you. I want to make sure I understood Mm -hmm. that. All right. Let's talk about this. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, let me just review. Last Thursday... You've got it's a small Starbucks, and I, I'm not a lover of Starbucks, by the way. I, I just I, I, I do I hate Starbucks? No, but you know it's one of these progressive, sort of in-your-face kind of lefty companies. Remember back in 2015, it's the place that wanted to encourage the baristas to write stuff on your coffee cups and engage with you in socially meaningful dialogue. I mean, okay, I. It's 7.30 in the morning. If I'm there, I want a cup of coffee. I don't necessarily want to be talking about social policy with some 24-year-old guy, I, that, that you know, some barista. No offense to baristas. Maybe I could learn something, but I just want my coffee, and I want to move on. And especially, I want my coffee. I don't want the guy talking to the people three ahead a lot. Just make my coffee and move on. So they tried that social experiment. It It just completely and totally bombed out. So as we discussed yesterday, on Thursday, the Downtown Philadelphia, where you have, uh, just like many urban areas, you've got a lot of homeless people. You've got a lot of vagrants. It don't, you know, you've got you've got bums. You've got all those different things. So, like many many stores, Starbucks apparently had this policy, which is, if you're going to come into the store, you got to buy something because I mean they don't they don't want it to be turned into a a, a just a, a heated sitting area for vagrants, which I don't think is an unreasonable sort of policy, you know, because otherwise, what are you going to do? Every time it's cold, everybody's going to pile in there and hang out. And then how long can you stay in business? Which is why a lot of businesses have policies that say you've got to, you've got to, you know, buy something. Now, in this particular case, I, I don't know. The two guys that were there who happened to be black said that they were waiting for somebody to come in. Um, the manager said you got to buy something. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they should have cut him some slack or or whatever, but then it escalates. The manager asks them to leave. They refuse to leave. Manager calls the police. The police come. The police ask the people to leave. They refuse to leave, at which point in time they get arrested for trespassing. I, as I said yesterday, I don't think the Philadelphia cops did anything wrong at all. They're answering the trespassing complaint. The manager at the Starbucks, and they have, again, they have this policy. They, they want you to buy something. If you're going to sit there, because otherwise, I think the concern is that you're going to be, the place is going to be overrun by people just hanging out, and you can't run an ongoing business there. Well, because these two guys that got asked to leave happen to be black, as opposed to, say, white, 
This has now become this huge cause celeb. Okay, we're discriminating against, uh, against African-American people, all that type of stuff. The Starbucks CEO throws the manager under the bus by describing this as, as reprehensible. This is terrible, which, of course, raises the issue about what does this say moving forward? Are Starbucks not going to be able to have policies that say that, you know, people have to buy something before they use the bathroom or before people can stay, in which case, huh, going to be interesting to see what this does to Starbucks in urban areas as more and more people decide they're just going to hang out there if this is, in fact, the policy. But now Starbucks says, okay, we're going to close 8,000 U.S. stores on the afternoon of May 29th to conduct racial bias education for employees. All right, here is my question, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a reasonable response to an error in judgment by an employee, or is this just nothing but a publicity stunt by Starbucks, kind of along the lines of, here, let's encourage our baristas to engage in a dialogue with the customers about different social issues. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My take on this is, give me a break. I, I, I mean, seriously. I mean, give give me a, a break. I think that Starbucks, this isn't a question to me of racial bias education. I mean, Starbucks, this is the, this, the fundamental issue that they got to deal with is, all right, how are we going to handle people who come into the stores um that don't have an intention of buying anything. Because that's where this all comes down to. And is Starbucks essentially going to say, all right, we are now going to become a, as long as we're open, we're going to become a, a warming center and sort of like a homeless shelter during our operating hours, or are we a business? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I think the Starbucks manager got thrown under the bus by the politically correct CEO of the business. I think this is nothing but butt-covering time on behalf of the CEO. And, I mean, give me a break. You're going to close all the stores for racial bias education? All right. <laughs> that, of course, assumes that this decision was based on some... Again, even if you want to assume the worst-case scenario... All right, it, it's it's just the manager that did it. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is, again, an, an effort at, I, I guess, maybe damage control and maybe some sort of, of appeasement. But uh, to me, this is Starbucks. Um, well, here's a text. Political correctness run amok yet again. Apparently, this is the era that, regardless of right or wrong, how things appear seems to take precedence over how they really are. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Marsha in Racine. Marsha, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey. I'm hey. just calling because, obviously, you know, you're calling Starbucks owners lefties. Because they are. left-right thing, really. I'm just kind of sick of it myself. But if the true conservatives, why are we having a conversation about how a private business owner runs his business? Well, because... The idea is, what what is the purpose behind it? Do they have a right to close down the business? Absolutely. The question is, what is the purpose behind this? And is this a valid, necessary thing to do? Or is this just nothing but public relations? 
Well, if it is public relations, it's still his business, and he should be able to run it the way he feels. Well, well you gotta, don't get me wrong, Marcia. No, nobody's saying he. Nobody's saying the Starbucks can't close down. Yes, they 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 have the right to do it. So that's not the point of this conversation. The point of the conversation is: Does it make? Is it necessary to do it? Does it make sense? Is this an effort to try to appease? Um, some people who claim to be angry when there's really nothing to apologize for. Yeah, does he have a right to do it? Sure, he can close the place for a week. He can fire, apparently, they, they fired the manager at this particular store. Yeah, you, you can do it, but we can also then comment on their decisions to do it, just like we comment on decisions of businesses to sell certain types of goods or whatever. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I think Starbucks has just opened up a floodgate. They've basically said, hey, anybody can come in and hang out here. And I think it's going to hurt their business because that's what people are going to do. And I'm going to conduct my own social experiment here. There's a Starbucks not too far from my house, staffed by primarily African-Americans. And I'm going to go in and I'm going to take my McDonald's coffee and my laptop with me and I'm going to sit down and see what happens. Well, you know, it, it is. Well, I'm thanks, I mean, see, I'm, I guess I'm not. I mean, I'm, I would not encourage, you know, people to try to, you know, create examples and stuff. But this is going to be the issue at Starbucks because I understand people are trying to see this through the prism of race. Um, but, but now this is the big issue that Starbucks, I think, has to grapple with, which is what is the policy going to be moving forward? I mean, are you going to have a policy? And this it's not unusual, by the way, for businesses to say, you know, if, if you're going to come into our restaurant, all right, you, you got to buy something. That That's not an unusual thing to say. It's not an unusual. Th- okay, I was in Key West a few weeks ago on vacation. Um, there were there were signs on lots and lots of stores as you walk along Duval Street and bars that say the restrooms are for customers. All right, that's because, you know, you've got all these people wandering it. So, Okay, is this now going to be Starbucks's new policy that we're we're not going to do that? You know, we're we're and if so, what is that going to mean for their stores in New York City and in Philadelphia and in urban areas? What is it going to mean during the the winter? Is it now going to be any downtown or urban area Starbucks is going to be turned into again like a warming area for people who want to warm up? And if if that's your business model, that that's fine. But I guess I, I think what I'm seeing is, does the guy have a right to do it? Yes. But now are we supposed to applaud Starbucks for being progressive and being concerned about, you know, an awareness of race relations and things like that, when maybe all they did was have a manager here who was enforcing what I think was a reasonable rule? We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I, I understand. Starbucks can close down and they can do... You know, their racial training and racial sensitivity training, and that's fine. It's not going to hurt anything. But I, I think what, what that is, if, if you've got a problem at one store, okay, then, then you, you deal with it with that particular manager. Although in this particular case, I'm not sure the manager really did anything wrong. The rule is you got to be a customer to use the bathroom. These folks weren't customers when they came in. They said they were waiting for somebody. Did the guy overreact? Should he have allowed him to use the bathroom? Well, okay, maybe. But then they refuse to leave, and then it escalates, and now we've got 
racial training, racial sensitivity training for thousands and thousands of employees. Taylor in River Hills. Taylor, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Taylor. Taking my call. Sure. Um, I think we both agree that this is not a police issue at at this point. This is basically all on Starbucks. Right. Because the manager called and made the complaint. Yep. Absolutely. Now, whether it's necessary to close down these um, all these locations for racial sensitivity training, um, they, I personally don't really think that it's completely necessary. I can understand from a PR perspective, it's a big shake-up move. It'll get lots of headlines, great, whatever. However, your job is to make sure that your managers, I mean, have a training for this, that your managers... Uh, enforce your policies universally mm-hmm. at every single Starbucks, at every single location all over the country, the world, whatever. If you are need to be a, cust- a customer, purchase an item before using the restroom, then enforce that universally. If you go on YouTube, there are videos where a black person will go into a Starbucks Asked to use the bathroom, they will be turned down. A white person will go up five minutes later, asked to use the bathroom, and they will be given the code. That I, is that is not it is not necessary to close down your restaurants to enforce this. Right. Well, ex- exactly. And I, but by the way, I'm, I'm I'm nodding my head behind the microphone. But you're right. You you you, you, you have to have uniform. You, I agree with you. You have to have universal policies and see this to me that's kind of the the trick box that now starbucks is getting itself into because what is the policy going to be is it going to be you have to buy something to get you know to stay in the store or you don't have to buy something and if the policy is you don't have to buy something i don't think that's going to help their business moving forward i don't think so either my study group and my phd program we would sit in starbucks for four or five hours and maybe two of us out of eight would actually purchase something. Right. We were just there for the Wi-Fi. Right. Now, this was a problem, and I'm not going to say the name of the restaurant, but they someone have gone out of business lately in Milwaukee, where you had to pay, it was their policy, for you to pay for your meal before your order was turned in. But black Americans would end up paying when, when ordering their food, and white people would be able to just come in, sit down, order, and pay after eating. So... I mean, if that's your policy, it has to be universal. Right, and remember, there was a story from, ah, gosh, it was it was somewhere on the East Coast about a week or two ago. Um, I want to say Maine could could be wrong, but it was where you had a waitress. It was like eh, like a Denny's, and the waitress, you know, made the. It happened to be African American. They'd had a lot of problems with uh, young people dining and dashing. And so the waitress took it kind of upon herself to make these kids pay up front. It turned out to be some African-American kids, and it became this racial story. And I agree completely. I mean, my, I didn't have a problem with the policy if you've got, like, high school kids that are running out. But you've got to enforce it uniformly. You can't pick, you can't pick and choose between the black kids or the Hispanic kids or the white kids. You've got to treat everybody the same. Absolutely. And, and perhaps there is where your racial bias training might come forward. However... You know, you can do this without making a big announcement all across the country that this is your solution to the problem. Right. I yeah. Mean, it, some it, things are better done underneath the surface than making them seem to be just a, a fake thing for 
for promotional value. Right, and that's how this struck me. No, thanks for calling. I agree, Taylor. And that, that's how the, this whole thing struck me. Sort of this, right, you, you send out, okay, we, we take all sorts of, you know, we, we, we have all this stuff on the Internet that, you know, you take all these different type of training things, you know, to remind you of ethics and stuff. And, again, I, I, I think, to me, the most interesting thing that's going to come of this is what is Starbucks policy going to be moving forward? Is it going to be that if you want to use the restrooms or you want to hang out for more than a few minutes um, that, that you're going to have to buy something? Or is it going to be, nope, no problem, come on in, we want to commit, we want to create this community, so come on in, sit down, bring your laptop, computer, bring your shopping cart when it's cold, just sit down and hang out at Starbucks. But, I mean, that to me is the more interesting issue, and how will Starbucks deal with that? 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks back in the playoffs. And the road to the, fi- road to the finals goes through WTMJ. Here each and every playoff game live with the flagship home of the Bucks. For the full broadcast schedule, text the word Bucks to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's 414-799-1620. All right. Um, one of the things that has happened in the era of cell phones is that now now everybody's a reporter and everybody is out there looking to expose something. So whenever an incident happens, everybody pulls out their cell phones and starts filming stuff, which is fine. Um, sometimes it gets a bit annoying and sometimes it is overstated. There is, is a video, and I hate the phrase gone viral because it's such a cliche, but there there's a video taken by a group of young people that is out there, and again, it's the basis for some claims against the Milwaukee Police Department. Let me kind of summarize. Actually, there's a story in the newspaper, which is a pretty good story that describes at least the underlying facts. Let me let me give you some of the pertinent stuff. Um, all right, what what happens is there is this. There, there's a young person, um, Adia Dunn, I think is how you pronounce the name, is a member of the Milwaukee Youth Council. The council advocates for young people in the city and has tackled youth issues such as reckless driving. Youth council members are confirmed by the common council to serve one-year terms. In the wake of a traffic stop, um, the various teens have called for a hub specifically for youths to discuss the recommendation from a federal review of the Milwaukee Police Department. Um, Quiella Robinson, who filmed the encounter, described herself as a teen educator and a youth activist, but said that changed during the traffic stop. Um, Duns, who is the driver of the car, I'm going to tell you about what happened, said, I feel dehumanized, violated, scared, and humiliated. We are all humans with rights and should be treated as such. I am very concerned with the safety of my peers that look like me. All right, here, here's what happens. She's driving on April 8th in Police District 3 on the city's north side. Um, the police pull the car over because there's something wrong with the headlights. I don't know if she had headlight out or whatever. Don't know what the issue was. But nobody is saying that the traffic stop was not valid in the first place. So the cops pull this car over because there is a problem with the headlights. The officers approach the front passenger side door and asked for Dunn's male passenger, an 18-year-old, to step out of the car. According to the police, 
what they say is, is they got out of the car. Um, they saw this is a guy in the front seat. They saw him like reaching under the seat. That, that's what they say that they saw. Um, so they go up and they say, could you please, you know, step out of the car? All right. Because they're, they saw, you know, the cops would describe this as being a furtive movement, you know, but they're, they're wondering, okay, did he have a gun? What is he? Have? You know, they saw him reaching something. Okay, so the passenger, 18-year-old guy, car's been stopped because there's a headlight out. Instead of just getting out of the car, like they ask, he says, no, I'm not going to get out of the car. I want to just leave my hands on the dashboard instead. I'm not going to get out of the car. The police then say, no, you've got to get out of the car they, he says, no, I'm not getting out of the car. I'll just put my hands on the dashboard. At which point in time, the officer then grabs the guy by the back of his hoodie. He's got like a hoodie on and pulls him out of the car. Um, at that point in time, you know, one of the other passengers in the back seat pulls out the cell phone and starts recording and then live streaming the encounter. So this then goes on for 42 minutes. Three officers can be seen surrounding the 18-year-old passenger who was on the ground as other teens in the car scream, no, no, no. Um, at one point in time, you know, one of the, the people who's filming it steps out of the car and the police say, no, stay inside, get back into the car. The teens called their parents and other family members for guidance at different points during the encounter they asked officers for their names and badge numbers or noted that information. Um, at one point in time, you know, one of the officers who's searching the car, one of these girls had, has the cell phone like right up in his face. And he says, look, you, if you don't get that thing out of my face, you know, I'm going to have to take it. You have every right to film this. But but really, I mean, you can't stick it in my face. Um, when the driver asked why the officer was searching the car, saying she had not given him consent to do so. Uh, the officer said, um, I, I, I'm searching it. We saw him reaching for something. I'm looking to see if there's something there. Um, then they say, well, why did you pull him out of the car? And they say, because of how he conducted himself. You want to be next? Please, you know, sit down. Uh, the officer said the 18-year-old man was removed from his vehicle because he was reaching. Uh, one of the girls in the car says, this is what happens to our youth. My friend is arrested for nothing. The teams, teams provided information to the officers when asked their names and other questions. Dunn identified herself as a youth council member and said she would be emailing Milwaukee police officials about the step. Uh, the teens were ordered then to step out of the car so officers could continue to search and then return back to the car. A sergeant arrived on the scene, spoke with the two you know people who were in the car. He said the 18-year-old passenger was taken out of the car, would receive a ticket, and could be picked up at Police District 3. The sergeant, who spoke calmly, noticed the cell phone filming him, said, really, like at some point, I, I get that it's your right, but at some point it's just rude. Then he continued saying he wanted to know what they saw because he was filling an out, filing an out, a, a use of force report. He said, look, I looked at the body camera, and as far as I'm concerned, the officers didn't do anything wrong, but I want to know what other people saw and what they heard from their vantage point um, Dunn, the driver, said when the 18-year-old was asked to get out of the car, he told the officer he could not do that and offered to put his hands on the dashboard instead. All right, 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's the general substance. You get a car that gets stopped. The cops stop this car. Legitimate stop. Something wrong with the headlights. Their story is that they're going up to the, if they're going up to the car, they see the guy in the passenger seat appear to be, you know, reaching. Like he's either grabbing something or putting something under the seat. They ask him to step out of the car. He refuses to do so. And then the thing escalates because he refuses to step out of the car at that point in time. Then it's a search. Then people are detained, etc. And now, I mean, the headline of the story, this is what happens to our youth. Milwaukee police reviewing video of officer pulling teen out of car. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, here's the problem here especially in this day and age where everybody is looking to create controversies. In this case, if the young man, the 18-year-old, had just gotten out of the car, if he had just gotten out of the car, none of this would have happened. You know, you, you, you wouldn't have had the officer having to forcibly remove him you wouldn't have had the kid, the 18-year-old, you know, presumably arrested and ticketed for resisting or whatever. If he would have just gotten out of the car, this would have been over in two or three minutes. The driver would have gotten a ticket or a warning for defective headlight or whatever it was, and then everybody would have gone on and been happy. But since everybody is trying to create an issue, and everybody's got their cell phones, and everybody wants to provoke this, you know, now you have this huge ongoing issue. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, one of the things that get it is getting lost in all this rage about urban policing and stuff is that if people would just comply with what are reasonable requests by the police, the thing doesn't have to escalate. And in this particular case, the car is stopped. They see him making what they, I think, would describe as a furtive movement. All right, so now, okay, is there a gun there? You know, what's going on? We want to check this out. Sir, could you get out of the car? No, I'm not going to get out of the car. Sir, please get out of the car. No, I'm not going to get out of the car. Here, I'll put my hands on the dashboard. Sir, we at, get out of the car. Get out of the damn car and nothing happens. 414-799-1620. Let's start with... Mike in Delavan. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, I totally agree with you. I've been in law enforcement for 34 years, and I'm on my way out. And nobody wants to comply with a lawful police order anymore. All they want to do is, is fight with us. And then when we get shot or killed, it's like, too bad, so sad. But all we're doing is trying to protect ourselves, and we've got justification with a moving vehicle and furtive movement. It isn't there to just dreaming this stuff up you know well right and and so okay i, I mean all right so so the officer says uh, look there, there wasn't a gun in the car okay so I, I i don't know what they saw or what they said they saw but 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 who cares if you know, get out of do what the officer says get out of the car there then this whole thing is going to go away the kid was apparently doing nothing wrong it's fine Nothing bad is going to happen. They're going to let you go. You're going to be back in that car, and you're going to be driving to wherever you're driving three minutes later instead of turning this into this 45-minute confrontation that now is causing all these issues. Just do what the officer asks you to do. You know, and the parents back all these kids up on this stuff. It's like I used to be more fearful of my parents than I did of the police officers. And it's like. 
just do what you're asked to do, and there won't be a problem. Right. I, I, right. Exactly. No. Thanks for the call. Now, again, I, I don't. I, I don't think there. They, they didn't, to my knowledge. There wasn't a gun. There wasn't dope. There wasn't anything there. This was. This was a a non-story. Okay. You know, it's kind of like. All right, you know, you get stopped for the traffic stop, and the officer says, hey, could you step outside the car or whatever? You step outside the car. You know, you, you resolve this. In this particular case, if the young man would have just simply, all right, stepped outside the car, instead you, you get this arguing. No, I, I'm going to put my hands on the dashboard instead. What? <laughs> what do you mean? No, you don't get to decide this stuff. Just step outside the car let us do our job and let us get you back on your way. This isn't a negotiation tool. No, I'm going to put my hands right here. 414-799-1620. I mean, seriously, I read these stories and, and it just, it makes my head want to explode. I understand that there's bad cops out there. See, I, I get all that. But at the same time, what I think you have going on now is you have a group of people who are out there. And again, they're trying to prove a point. And you're trying to, you know, whether it's indirectly or directly, kind of provoke reactions from police officers. And then, I mean, if you watch some of this videotape, you know, you're, you're sticking the cell phone camera in this guy's face as he's trying to reach under the seat to see if there's a gun. You know, and he says, you know, look, you know, you got to write the film, it, but it's kind of, just get it out of my face. You know, all right, you, you can film me, but you don't have to stick it right in front of my face. But that's not how we operate anymore. We're back with more calls in just a moment. It's 148 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, former FBI Director James Comey, calls President Trump morally unfit to be the president. CBS Chief White House Correspondent Major Garrett shares what happens next when he joins John and Melissa at 3.50 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Okay, here I have a text. Um, The text says, uh, let's see, they, this would be the police, um, they, the police, had no, well, let me see, we just got a whole bunch more text in, let me make sure I get I want to read it correctly because I wanted to have a comment on this. Uh, let's see. Um, they had no right. The cops had no right to search the car. They had no right to make the unlawful demand. Now, the police, apparently what happens, they pull the car over because the headlight is out. As they're going up to the car, they see the front seat passenger. What they say is kind of reach under the, the seat. Okay. Now, if that's what they saw, I, I, I think they have every right to you know, make a protective search. I think they have every right to do that, but maybe I'm wrong. All right, but that's not the point. The, the cops had no right to search the car. They had no right to make that unlawful demand. Well, okay, here, here's the way you handle something like that. If, if the kids in the car, if their rights are being violated, if the police, decide, if it ultimately is determined that the police officer has no right to ask the guy to get out of the car and to search under the car, there are all sorts of remedies. What happens then is you file a complaint, you file a lawsuit, you can do anything you want, all right? But you, you know, the 18-year-old driver of the car or the 18-year-old passenger in the car doesn't get to decide what is lawful and what isn't. If it tur- that's why, I mean, if people would just comply with what the police ask you to do, all right? Sir, we need you to step outside the car. Kid says, I'm not getting outside the car. I will, however, tell you what, I'll put my hands on the dashboard. <laughs> it's like, you, you don't get to do that. The cops get the first kick at the cat. The cops get to say, no, this is what we saw. We need you to get out of the car because, you know, we're worried that there might be a gun under that seat because we saw you reaching. If it turns out that that's made up, if it turns out that they're lying, if it turns out that they're violating your rights, you have every right to pursue 
claims. You, like I say, you can file complaints with the Fire and Police Commission. You can hire a lawyer and file a civil rights lawsuit or whatever. But you don't have a right to refuse to comply with these demands. And when you do that, you escalate the situation. But, of course, everybody, well, I know my rights. I'm not doing this. All right, at which point in time, you just take what would be a minor situation and you make it a lot worse. And then, okay, let's stick the cell phone camera in the police officer's face as he's trying to do his job. Um, let's argue with the police. Just, just If people would just do what the cops ask you to do, 95% of the problems that occur during these situations would not occur. And I'm not saying that the cops are going to be wrong, are going to be right 95% of the time. Again, if you're wrongfully detained, you have all sorts of remedies. You, you, you do. You can file that complaint. You can file that lawsuit. But when you decide on the scene that you're not going to get out of the car, you've just made things a lot, lot worse. Ryan in East Troy. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. Hi, Ryan. I love it how people say they know their rights. They know their rights. Well, no, actually, you probably don't know your rights. Uh, and, and you're right. Law enforcement gets first kick at the cat. And when people, all of them, white, black, Hispanic, yellow, green, and, and Martian people, come to the realization that 99% of the time, 99% of the time, the police officer is following the law and he's doing everything for his and your safety. Until people realize that, and until we keep we, we stop this sensationalizing of of, of, of the wrongdoings, that right. yes, there is a small percentage. We would definitely agree that there is a percentage, but it's pretty small on a given day basis that these guys go out and do for us. Uh, yeah. You're going to get the same result. There is no respect for the law because they weren't told to respect the law. They know their rights. No, they have absolutely no idea what their rights are. And until they become educated in that, then you have no leg to stand on. But you're well, right. Almost almost every time they are doing it because they feel, the police officers, feel that there is a reason to do that. And they just ask the gentleman to step out of the car. But I know my rights. My rights are saying I can put my hands on the, yeah. on, on the, on the dashboard. It's foolish. Yeah, I'm not going to get I'm not going to. Thanks for I'm not going to comply with you. Get out of the car. All right, if, if the police are, are wrong, if this is manufactured, if you end up getting arrested and you think it's wrongful arrest, you've you got all sorts of remedies. But what, what you do by, by doing this is you just make the whole thing worse. Also, put your, yourself in the perspective of a police officer. You've made this stop. And this is, I guess, I mean, I'm trying to envision their version of the thing. They, they pull this car over because there's a bad headlight. You get out of the car. You start walking up there. And you see what you believe to be the passenger suddenly reaching under the seat or reaching wherever. All right, maybe you didn't see what you thought you saw, but your first thing you're thinking of is, okay, what, what's going on here? Now, look, I understand there's all sorts of innocent explanations for it. And in this particular case, they didn't find anything. So I don't think the young man did anything wrong. But again, you escalate this. The police are thinking, I'm sure, is there a gun? Is there contraband? You know, what's going on here? Yeah, and, and we want to take a, a look. And if it turns out that they are acting illegally and this is an illegal search, like I say, there's all sorts of remedies. But when you decide, well, I'm going to refuse to get out of the car, you make stuff worse. And that's what happened here. It's 158, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 210. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. 
Sometime this hour, we'll be giving away a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Pirates on May 6th, all part of our Welcome Back Baseball promotion, and a $50 gift card from uh, MelvinMulch.com, our sponsor. So that's going to be sometime this hour. You know, um, the John McAdams case is going to be argued in front of the state Supreme Court on Thursday. It, it is interesting. I will... You know, people ask me my my assessment of this, and it, here here's here is this in a nutshell. This is what you need to know. In my opinion, what Marquette University did to Professor John McAdams is wrong, wrong in the extreme. Whether or not it is actionable, that is, whether or not a lawsuit has merit, well, that's something that's a tougher question. Here, by by way of background, I, I I've known John McAdams for years. He has. Marquette University has moved over the years, and this, I went to Marquette Law School, has moved dramatically away from, say, it's what I would describe as its Jesuit roots. Like many universities across the country, it has become a bastion for extremely liberal thinking. Uh, it, it just has. And, you know, to the point that I think a lot of people, you would not recognize it as what you would think would be a, a Jesuit university. It's just, especially in the undergraduate colleges, that that's just what it is. McAdams is an unabashed conservative, and he is also somewhat of a gadfly. And I say that with love. All right. Um, he, he's run for years this blog called the Marquette Warrior. And if you're a regular listener to this program, you know I'm one of these guys that's it's a huge fan of the Marquette basketball program. I've never accepted the Golden Eagles. I mean, to me, it's just, it is just, it is a superficial indication of how politically correct Marquette University has become that you, you can't have the Warriors nickname because somebody somewhere might be offended. And, and I bring it up just because I think it is just, it's just endemic of all the stuff that's going on at, at Marquette. Um, and it kind of gets wrapped up and it says, oh, they can't have the Warriors nickname because somebody might be offended because the mascot a long time ago used to be uh, a character that would de- dress in Native American attire. Okay. So anyhow, McAdams has been for years a gadfly. He, he's run this blog called the Marquette Warrior where what he has done is expose the various liberal, whacked-out stuff that has gone on on campus, on the campus. The Marquette faculty and administration has not liked that. They haven't liked the fact that McAdams would regularly publicize stuff that they were doing because it was embarrassing to them. Now, there's two ways. Gru is producing the show today. All right. If you're doing something that you don't want the public to know about because it's going to be embarrassing to you, there's two ways you can handle it. You can either try to kill the messenger or maybe... Maybe you can just not do it in the first place. I mean, that that's always been one of my pieces of advice to people who are public officials or, or whatever, that if, if there's something you're doing that you would be embarrassed to have as the lead story in, in the newspaper or the lead story on radio or TV news, or you're doing something that you would be embarrassed to have talked about on a radio program like mine, well, my advice would be don't shoot the messenger, just don't do it. All right, so McAdams has been in people's faces for years because he has exposed a lot of the stuff that's gone on. And he's made a lot of enemies, and he's been a burr under the saddle of the administration. So in my opinion, they have been looking for reasons to get him for the longest time because, again, he he would needle them. 
he would talk about stuff that was going on the campus that the administration didn't want people to know about because, well, they just it, the general public wouldn't approve of this or the larger Marquette community wouldn't approve of it. So what happens is back in 2014, there's a, a graduate student who is the, the teacher of record. She's teaching a class, it's like a philosophy class, and there, there's a student in there and he, he tries, for some reason, they get into this discussion of, of same-sex marriage. Now, keep in mind, I, look, I don't care where you stand on this particular issue, but this is a, a Jesuit school, and, you know, Catholic teaching still, you know, says that marriage is between, as a general rule, says marriage is between a man and a woman. You might disagree with that. I don't want to argue that. But, but the kid, the student, apparently brings up the subject of, of gay marriage, and he's arguing against gay marriage. And this, the, the, the teacher, the instructor, the instructor of record, who happens to be a graduate student, but she's the one that decides on people's grades. She apparently stops him and says, I'm not going to tolerate any sort of, you know, homophobic comments in my class, etc." when all he's trying to do is, again, make the point that he doesn't support gay marriage. All right, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, but, you know, you've got the, the, the teacher at Marquette who's saying, well, we can't even have a conversation about that. So the kid, the student, records this, tells McAdams about it. He writes the story about this graduate instructor, what she is doing in her classroom, and he names her. Well, this gives Marquette the, the I, I guess, the, the foothold to do what I think it had been wanting to do for a number of years. They say, oh, you, you, you violated your academic, you've, you've singled out this student. Well, okay, it, it's a graduate student who is the, the instructor of record in the classroom. You've mentioned her name, and now you know she's getting all this hostile feedback because you know you've exposed what she was doing. You know, it, not being concerned with the larger question of the, the students' rights to, you know, be able to maybe voice an alternative view on a particular position like gay marriage. Well, Marquette doesn't care about that students' rights. It's like okay, McAdams has now identified the graduate student, the instructor who did this. This is our basis. We're going to fire him because we find this to be in violation of the contract. And, it, and it's been going on since 2014. Now, again, I started off this conversation. The Supreme Court's going to hear the case on Thursday, and they're going to decide. Marquette says he violated his employment contract. We have every right to fire him. Uh, the argument that Professor McAdams makes is, no, I, I, I'm actually protected, and there's a clause in my contract which says that I, I can't be disciplined for exercising legitimate personal or academic freedoms of thought, doctrine, discourse, association, advocacy, or action. And he said, and that, that's precisely what this was. I, I was just telling it like it was. This happened. I disclosed it. Um, it's not like I singled out a student uh, to the extent I named names. It was because this person was the instructor of record, and, and yes, it was a graduate student, but that's not the capacity that the kid was acting, the student, the person was acting in. They were an instructor. Okay, was Marquette legally, did they have the basis for firing him? All right, well, the Supreme Court is going to decide that. You know, is it a violation of his employment contract or not? And I guess I'll, I'll leave that to smarter minds. Okay, but at the same time, this is an example of what Marquette did that was just fundamentally wrong. Marquette has unfortunately taken a major turn to the left, both administrators and professors over the years. They don't like to have these turns exposed 
because talking about what goes on frequently on that campus doesn't make the administration look good. It doesn't make a lot of the professors look good. And it doesn't make a lot of alumni, for example, inclined to want to send their kids there. So they're very protective in that regard. What happened here is real simple. They were looking for years for a reason, in my opinion, to get rid of Professor McAdams. This gave them the pretext to do that. Will ultimately it be upheld in court? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Again, we'll leave that to the judges to decide. But is it the right thing to do to try to bounce out one of the few conservatives there? That's where I think the issue you know, really occurs. And even if they have the right to do it, this is just simply not the right thing to do. And that's what I think you need to know about the John McAdams story. All right. We are going to completely switch gears. I want to talk about something in the next segment with you. Stuff. I want to talk about stuff. Stick around. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Come see what's brewing, the Milwaukee Brewers. 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm going to the ball game tonight. Hopefully it won't be too cold. Hopefully the result will be better than last night's. I would like to send you to the Brewers-Pirates game on Sunday, May 6th as part of our Welcome Back Baseball proposal. In addition, I've also got a $50 gift card from MelvinMulch.com. Let's give it to caller number 13, Lucky 13, at 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller 13 wins a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Pittsburgh Pirates on May 6th. And the $50 gift card from our great sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. All part of our welcome back baseball proposal. Yeah, like I say, I'm uh, looking forward to. It. I'm going. I going to the ball game tonight, and hopefully, oh, it's 37 degrees outside. Hopefully, it'll. I, obviously, we're going to have the game. No question about that. Hopefully, it'll be comfortable inside of Miller Park, and hopefully, the Brewers can turn it around. I mean, they've done okay on on the road, but uh, at home, they've just. Then this was the true last year as well. They were just they were awful at home, and um, I. I, I don't like to think of myself as kind of like a Jonah, but I'm, uh, I've been to two games this year, um, and they've lost. I've been to two or I've been to two games so far this year. They've lost both of those games. Hopefully they're going to be, and haven't played well. Hopefully they'll be able to turn it around tonight if they play the Cincinnati Reds. If you can't get out to Miller Park, you can hear the game here on WTMJ. Okay. We have our winner. Gru has our winner of the tickets. Keep listening because for the rest of this week, and I think for at least another week, um, we're going to continue our Welcome Back Baseball promotion, certainly for the rest of this week, and you'll have another chance to win that four-pack of tickets and the $50 gift card. So we have our winner. No need to keep calling. All right. I want to completely and totally switch gears. You know, we've been talking about a lot of, you know, heavy-duty issues over the course of the last, you know, two-plus hours. But th- there was a story in the Journal Sentinel that really got me thinking. And actually, it kind of touched a nerve with me um, just because of, you know, where I've been in my life. I, I think, as, as people know, I've, I'm in the process of moving, or actually I pretty much have moved out of the house that, that I lived in for going on 30 years, bought another house, and um, so in the process of, of emptying out that house, and almost everything is gone. Over the course of 30 years, you accumulate a lot of stuff. I was amazed at how much stuff we had. My, my late wife, um, just just she, she was a shopper. <laughs> she was a shopper, and it was just amazing how much stuff was in the house. Good stuff, 
not so great stuff. And, and plus, in just over 30 years, you accumulate a lot of things. Um, as as my house was being rehabbed to, to put on the market, um, we went through, I was on a first-name basis with the dumpster guy. I've told the story before. We went through five dumpsters. And yeah, that, that's five dump. That's just stuff that got stuff that got thrown out. A lot of stuff went to family. A lot of stuff went to friends. Lots of stuff went to you know charity. Um, but there was a lot. I was amazed at how much stuff there was, and I was amazed at how just kind of daunting the task was at, at looking at all the stuff that you had accumulated over the, the course of thirty years. Now the the new place that that we're we're in. Uh, has a huge basement. My old house did not have a large basement, but it has his huge basement. But yet, even though there's lots of room, the the one thing that I have learned at this point in my life is, um, I, I want to be careful about accumulating stuff because it, it adds up quickly. <laughs> it just adds up quickly. And you know, as we were going through the the stuff in the Whitefish Bay house, and people would say to me okay, you know, why do you have this, or what did this do, or how long has it been since you've seen this? And I'd have this kind of, like, blank look on my face saying, well, I, I don't exactly remember where we got this, or we got this 10 years ago and we haven't used it, all that type of stuff. It's, it's just amazing how much stuff you can accumulate. So I have been trying to be born again hard when it comes to this, and, and that is being kind of ruthless about, you know, getting rid of things. And unless I can figure out if I'm going to wear it or if I'm going to use it, well, then I want to try to find this thing a good home. Now, I was thinking about all this because there's a story in the Journal Sentinel today. Self-storage units surge in Milwaukee because people don't like to get rid of stuff. Here's part of the story. About three years ago, um, Alice Donahue, then moving into her late 50s and ready to downsize, rented a storage locker. Actually, she rented four of them, large ones. Each, she said, was nearly the size of a semi-trailer. When you raise 10 children and have a big house in which to stash all the things that come with them, um, the heap can get pretty high. I used to chuckle at people who had so much that they needed storage. And here I am. I'm one of the accused. Self-storage. Long the humblest member of the commercial real estate family is on a roll. Construction spending on self-storage nationally has quadrupled in the last two years, far outpacing nearly every other type of non-residential real estate in percentage terms. And then it goes on and on and talks about, as, as us baby boomers are kind of getting older and getting out of our house, how we're having trouble dealing with stuff. And, and we just can't say goodbye to the stuff. We just can't put it in those dumpsters or find people to give it to so we have it follow us around. And if we're getting rid of a bigger house to move to a smaller place, well, we still can't get rid of our stuff. We have to put our stuff in storage containers, storage lockers the size of semi-trailers because, I don't know, because we might need that stuff someday. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, as I get older, the experience of the last year has told me no more stuff. <laughs> no more stuff. I have promised my wife that if I come home from a Jimmy Buffett concert with another Jimmy Buffett T-shirt, I will get rid of one of the – I don't even want to tell you how many – Linda, you're laughing. I've got a closet that's full of Jimmy Buffett T-shirts that go back 20 years. All right, I have promised if I come home with a new one, I will get rid of one of the old ones. I, I have just I am making a pact. No more stuff. 
All right. Do you find yourself in this situation? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why is it so hard to get rid of stuff? Have you been facing this dilemma as well? Like I say, I was on a first-name basis with the guy at the dumpster company. Five dumpsters full of stuff, and that's that's just the junk. That's just the stuff that I wasn't giving away. 414-799-1620. Are you dealing with stuff in your life? We're back in just a couple of minutes. 229. This is Jeff. 236. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, this is from the story in the paper. According to data from the U.S.-based Self-Storage Association, um, we in America have nearly 50 times the self-storage space per person of Europe as a whole and 25 times the amount of the most affluent countries such as Denmark, Norway, Switzerland, and the Netherlands. It's our culture, says so-and-so. Um, people don't like to get rid of stuff. Amy in Menominee Falls. Hi, Amy. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I, I am well. Let's talk about stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, my husband and I bought our house three years ago, and the woman that we bought it from moved in there in 1958. And when she moved, she was just trying to trying to downsize. Her husband had passed away years ago, and she just didn't want to deal with the landscaping and all that anymore. And we actually had to extend out our closing date for her, where she still had access to our home to get her stuff out while we were trying to move in for two weeks past our closing because she just had such a rough time and it wasn't a hoarding type situation. She didn't have too much stuff. She just, it was very difficult for her to get rid of some things and she wanted us to keep them and we didn't. Old socks. Yeah. Things that she found of value that we were like, let's get this crap out of here, you know? <laughs> well, that, no, I mean, I, I know exactly what it, and see, in my case, I, I was getting my house ready to put on the market. And the one thing that helped, in addition to, you know, my, my wife and you know, a couple of friends who, you know, were helping me do this purge is, you know, we had a guy that was going through, my, my friend Joe was going through the house and, you know, working on different rooms to get the house ready to sell, you know, taking the wallpaper down, painting it, doing that kind of stuff. And so we had to stay ahead of him. So, okay, Joe's going to be working in the kitchen over the next week. You got to get the kitchen cleaned out. So it was that motivation. But it, it was just... I could see how it would be incredibly paralyzing, and then you'd look around and you'd say, "My God, how did we accumulate all this stuff?" It was so difficult. We, towards the end, um, my husband finally, and we just, you know, I mean, I have a heart, and I understand. She's lived in that house since it was built in '51. She's lived in there since Eisenhower had been president. Like I understand how hard it is, and my husband finally kind of had to pull the plug and say, "How do you feel about us getting the dumpster?" And that's eventually <laughs> what we had to do. And she. We kind of let her, like, okay, this can go, this can go. But it was difficult, and I just, I, after we kind of dealt with that, I sort of vowed, like, I'm not going to accumulate this kind of stuff where I need to, it's almost a, a burden-type situation. Well, it is, and it becomes, and, and, right, and the truth is, I think people look at it and say, okay, this is, every, I mean, everything has sentimental value to an extent. And I think, I mean, I didn't have children, but I think there's a lot of people who think, well, my kids are going to want this. Well, in, in many cases, there might be, a, when my, when we moved my parents out, my parents have passed away, but when we moved them out and you know, they ended up going into, a, you know, an assisted living type of place, there was all this sure. stuff that my, that my, my mom had thought that either my brother or I wanted. And there was a couple things I wanted, but I have my own stuff, you know, which is right. like, you know, I mean, I've, I've got my own stuff. I mean, and it's, you know, and, and I think, you know, we all think about this. Well, my kids are going to want that or other. Well, for general, the kids, 
maybe there's some stuff they want, but most of the stuff they don't want those old socks anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. No, no, thanks for calling. No, it, it's again. I, I, honest to God, was on a first name basis with the guy at the dumpster place because now it wasn't. It wasn't all stuff. I mean, we were, you know, it was wall, the guy was taking down wallpaper and things like that. So it was a mix of that and construction things. But it, it just becomes, it becomes daunting. And I, I see this story, and I understand. Why there, there's this self-storage thing that, that, that's going on? Because we have such a problem with trying to deal with how do we get rid of the, the things that we have accumulated over our our lifetime. Let's talk to Eric and McHenry. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good morning. Hi. I just want to tell you how much I enjoy the show. Oh, thank you. It's very kind of you. Even though I am in Illinois, my, <laughs> my wife was born and raised in Wauwatosa. So okay, great. I, I always listen to you. But uh, the reason I responded to this is because I've lived in the same house for 38 years, and my wife passed away mm-hmm. 18 years ago, and I still have her clothes in the closet. Um. And, you know, I never remarried, so it wasn't an issue. But my basement, I have a big house, and my, my whole basement is full of crap. <laughs> and, and I just don't have – my son is getting married next month. And I thought, you know, I want to give him the option of, of what he wants. You know, I, just, I right. don't want to just, I'm, I'm not a dumpster guy. I'm, you know, because, you know, when you, when you have, when you accumulate things for that long, you just get attached to it. Right. 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 So, I, I, yeah, you do. I, I, but, you know, I, I tell you, Eric, I think at some point in time, just a little advice between you and me, you know, you'd, you would be doing your son a favor if you kind of pare down your stuff so he doesn't have to deal with it if something happens to you, if you know what I mean. I, I understand what you mean. And, and yeah. you know, I'm older now. And, and so, and he's a lot younger. I didn't have him until I was 42. Right. But but the bottom line is, it, my wife, yeah. we, used to, we used to scuba dive, we used to skeet shoot, we, did it, we were both pilots, we did everything together. I have a ton of stuff. And I don't want to get rid of it without giving giving him a shot at it. Right. No, and I, and I think that's. I mean, thanks to call, Eric, and I'm, I'm I'm very sorry for your loss. I look, I I understand. Believe me, I understand exactly. You know what it is that you're you're going through, and there. And I always think there, there's also a time when, when when you have a situation where a spouse passes on. I mean, I I am not. Believe me, I'm not saying. Well, the two days later, you need to go in and clean out the closet. That there's there's a time for everything. At the same time, um, you know, after five years or 10 years or 15 years, if you've got stuff that's just accumulating, the chances are that isn't going to be used. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll just personalize this. I mean, when I, I mean, my parents had a house full, it was the house I grew up in. They lived there, you know, it was the house we moved to when we moved here to Milwaukee when I was like nine years old. And when they got to a point where they couldn't take care of the house and they had to go into the facility, that was then left with my brother and I, to have to deal with that, and it was just a very difficult thing, and I just, I mean, I didn't know that I thought it was fair to make kids have to deal with it, and fair is not the right word, but you, you deal with it, then you get to the other situation, though, when you look around your house, and again, I, I just, I look at things, and nowadays, my response is kind of, have I used it in a year? Have I worn it in a year? Is there any reasonable likelihood that I'm going to need this thing again? I kept, I've told this story before, I kept all my notes from law school. 
why I did. I don't did it. I think there was going to be a Jeff Wagner presidential library sometime. I don't know. But I found that upstairs in the attic. I got boxes with all my notes from law school, for goodness sakes. That went into the dumpster. Sam on the north side. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you, sir. Hey, um, I'm uh, 53, but when I was younger, I never collected anything. Um, but I think a big reason why you're seeing an increase in these storage units, I think, is you know, with a flip of a, a keypad, you're on the Internet, and a lot of stuff that you normally would have just given away at a rummage sale, you're finding out is worth 10, yeah. 10 times, 20 times, and then you tend to want to hang on to it because you don't want to give it away. I think that, that yeah. plays a part of it, too, I think. Yeah, it, it, it could be, and because you, you, right, you, you never want to give away that 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 painting that your mother had that you all of a sudden it turns out it's worth ten thousand dollars or something like that. Right. So, so maybe you hold. And thanks. Maybe, maybe I'm just saying I understand the self storage thing, um, but at the same time, stuff. You know, maybe, maybe we need to kind of consciously avoid a purge. Okay, we're going to go to breaking news right now. It's two forty four. Breaking news from the WTMJ Breaking News Center. I'm Melissa Barclay. NTSB officials are now confirming that one passenger was killed and several suffered minor injuries after an engine exploded on a Southwest Airlines flight from New York to Dallas today. That plane did make an emergency landing in Philadelphia. 43 passengers, five crew members were on the Boeing 737 when the engine exploded. Again, NTSB officials are confirming that one passenger has now died. You can find more details right now at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. Two forty nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just one final thought on the stuff thing. You know, just one of the things I find, I will tell you, it gives me great pleasure to see some of the stuff, you know, items, articles, things that are perfectly good, you know, that um, were in the house I lived in for so many years that I've now been able to give to family or friends. Um, or acquaintances, and to see them put it to good use, it it just it makes me happy that that's it makes me happy that that's you know we, we I've been able to give it to somebody who can use it as opposed to I don't know putting it in some storage locker somewhere. But it, it it's tough. It's tough to have the discipline to do that. It's tough to be willing to to say that. And I was lucky because I had a, a lot of people who cared very much about me who helped me go through that that process but um it, it's it is a struggle um breaking news from melissa barclay this incident we were talking about on the southwest airlines flight if you hadn't heard the details what happened to us this morning flight leaving new york's LaGuardia airport headed for dallas i, I think it's after it got to its cruising altitude thirty-two thousand feet an, an engine exploded not not ki- you know not just died but it blew up and what happened is it threw shrapnel out and what happened is apparently there was a woman who was sitting behind the wing, is my understanding, and large piece of shrapnel burst the uh, burst the, the glass. I mean, broke the glass, and she was apparently in the process of being sucked out. And, par- and you know, people grabbed her, pulled her back in. Um, but the, the the pilots were managed to keep the the airplane under control, um, and, and ultimately, you know, make an emergency landing in Philadelphia. The initial reports were that, 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 you know, everybody was fine. Now the reports are that, you know, somebody died in connection with this. We don't know what those details are, but, uh, just sort of one of these horrible freak things. This was on Southwest Airlines. My understanding is, um, Southwest has been flying 
since the 60s or the 70s and this is of course the the first this is the first fatality so i i understand there might be some people who want to say oh, was air travel unsafe it, it really just sounds like this was a a freak type of thing um i mean you hear about engines going out you don't hear about engines exploding and and throwing shrapnel and things like that but i know they're going to have much more on this on wisconsin's afternoon news so so keep listening one of the things i i did also want to mention um i i was one of the nine million plus people who you know watched the interview with James Comey on Sunday night. Actually, the more I think about it, the more I hear about it, the, the less impressed I am with, with James Comey. Which isn't to say that I don't, you know, believe his, his different in, encounters and his descriptions of his encounters with President Trump. It's just the more I think about it, it just the, the guy strikes me as being you know incredibly thin skinned and and petty, which is maybe how what you feel about President Trump as well. But the, the more you hear about him and the fact that he was, I think, consciously trying to affect the the outcome of the election, you know, his wife, his daughters, big Hillary Clinton supporters, I think it's pretty clear that he thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. And um, a number of the things he did were to either cover himself or the bureau moving forward. And the more I think about James Comey, the less impressed I, I am with him, even acknowledging that I think, you know, his descriptions of some of the meetings were probably accurate. But here's the, the real interesting thing that's starting to emerge. What you saw, if you were one of the 9.7 million people who watched that interview on Sunday, you didn't see the whole interview. There was actually four plus hours uh, of conversations and interviews and an interview that took place. And what ABC did was they pretty selectively edited that that interview, um, taking out a lot of stuff, including a lot of stuff where he was, for example, critical of the previous administration, critical of um, Loretta Lynch, critical to an extent of Barack Obama. And instead, you know, what you saw was a highly edited thing designed to try to make President Trump, portray President Trump in, you know, the worst possible light. Not necessarily surprising that ABC would do that, but incredibly disappointing. There is, ABC News released a a whole transcript, a complete transcript of the interview, but, you know, you got to read through the entire thing to see a lot of the stuff that he said that, um, you know, was, was critical of people other than Donald Trump. And again, I'm not, I, I'm not saying that uh, James Comey is a particularly sympathetic character. I'm not saying that, you know, James Comey's opinion as to whether, you know, President Trump is morally unfit for office is any more valid than your opinion or, or my opinion. It's just with all the hype that they had, um, you would have thought that they might have done a better job of, of balancing it. But, of course, I think the reason that Comey chose to go to ABC News and George Stephanopoulos is you know that you had this guy who was you know deep in the Clinton camp, and you could pretty much guarantee that you weren't going to be pushed too hard, or he, I think, felt comfortable that maybe there wasn't going to be too much stuff um, hostile to anyone else other than Donald Trump that made it on the air. And I think that's kind of how the plan all worked out. Okay. Much more details about what happened on that airplane flight, plus a lot more coming up on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by John and Melissa, and we'll find out exactly what their show plan is. It's 2.55. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.